Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. The way we're living isn't working for everybody. A big problem in modern society is that we sit all day long, we eat all day long, we don't recover enough. And so our bodies are in a state of imbalance. The way that you treat yourself is really, really important for how your body responds to whatever you're trying to accomplish with your health. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, Bettys. Welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I am very happy to present a second conversation with Dr. Molly Malouf. And this is on the heels of the release of her first book, Spark Factor. If you haven't heard of Dr. Molly Malouf before, you should definitely check out our conversation on Better Before. We'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes there for you to check out our primary or our first conversation. Um, but just a little bit about her. She's a physician, an entrepreneur who works basically at the intersection of medicine, technology, and wellness. Uh, she's a medical advisor to uh, a gaggle of Silicon Valley technological companies, uh, including uh, 3S Scan, Cairo, um, and many, many others. She is also the founder of Adamo Bioscience, which is working on the biological, psychological, psychedelic, and technological solutions to uh, really to perpetuate the power of love. She is a lecturer at Stanford University and many, many other accolades to her name. So in terms of what we talked about today, we talked all about how we can bring about our spark factor. So what the mitochondria are, how we can be creating more energy in our lives how we can be reversing or slowing the aging process, how we as women, of course, are unique. You knew that that was going to be in uh, in a conversation uh, on the show, how we as female biohackers or interested women who are interested in optimizing their hormones, optimizing their life, how we need to approach things differently. Um, and a whole, just a whole, we went on the best uh, sort of nerd, uh, if you will, or like geeky magic carpet rides, if you will. Uh, we talked about sex and sexuality, how to optimize connection and community with the people that we love the most, and a whole lot more. You're going to get so much out of this show, uh, so much out of this episode. I will just say that there was a little bit of 
uh, internet wonkiness at times. I think that the conversation that we were having was so powerful that the internet gods and goddesses uh, were just being tapped out a little bit. So you'll find there's a couple of moments where she's talking uh, where she cuts out for a moment. Uh, you can still make sense of what she's saying, but just wanted to give you give you the heads up there. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Molly Malouf. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovering health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apreski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Dr. Molly Malouf, back for round two. I'm delighted to welcome you back to better. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First time was so fun. It was like, I think a year ago. Yeah, it was, it was, a. I have to look at the exact date, but we had such a good conversation. I remember we ended off saying, well, there's going to be a round two. And then you wrote a book. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's a perfect excuse for, for round two. So I'm excited. We're talking about your new book called Spark Factor, um, which is kind mm-hmm. of like the biohacking, you know, if there is a biohacking Bible for women, really. Where you go ah, through. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah. It's well, that's a well, great way to put it. 
Yeah, it's it goes through all of the different, uh, you know, energy and metabolism and hormones and sexual energy and blood sugar and, you know, how to reverse aging and all the things, which I think is going to be really well received, certainly by my audience yeah. who loves, obviously, pr- primarily women. My Bettys are always looking for kind of the, the hacks and the shortcuts to living better, living well, aging well slowing down the aging process. Um, so yeah, really excited to get into this conversation with you. Cool. Yeah. It's been a labor of love. And I was like, what am I going to do next? I need to help more people. I'm only helping a small number of people in my, in my practice of really, you know, wealthy elite individuals in the Bay area. And I was like, I got to help more people. I've learned so much in 10 years and so much of my entire life, like of, of learning about health. And yet I feel like writing a book is one way you can try to get it out to the masses. Um, so, you know, writing a book is one thing, marketing a book is another thing. So I'm learning a ton, but what I love about health optimization and biohacking is really, it teaches you so much about yourself and it teaches you what you're capable of and what your, what your performance can actually be in life. Like it really gives you a first approach to really achieving your full potential. Like what is health? How do you measure it? How do you, how do you amplify it? That's really been my purpose of my practice. And, um, and I've kind of like slowly become an oral biologist and just like really started like examining humanity from like a bio- biologist rather than like a doctor. And that led me to the mitochondria. And that led me to like, oh, being like, oh my God, health is capacity. Health is capacitance. Health is literally money to spend to basically do work. And you need money to do work. You need money to actually make organ. If you think about ATP as currency, it's like you need energy currency to actually get stuff done. And when our energy currency starts to diminish as we get older, or if we damage our mitochondria through our lifestyle, then what we end up with is chronic diseases, chronic metabolic diseases. And this is now just starting to become mainstream knowledge. Um, and to me, it's like the frontier of medicine. Like the bio, the, you know, the microbiome was a big 10 years and we've, and the microbiome is super important to energy production. But chondria to me are like the seat of health and disease and specifically the lifestyle related chronic diseases that are killing the most people and causing the most destruction. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start there. Let's start with, uh, you know, how are mitochondria inherent or native to humans? Um, how do they uh, and how do they function? So let's let's maybe start with sure. with that. Yeah. I mean, the first thing you need to know about mitochondria is that we inherited them like through evolution as single cell organisms engulfed these bacteria. And they were essentially learning how to harness energy more effectively from the environment. So how do they harness the energy? They literally said, we're gonna engulf these things and they're gonna do work for us. We're gonna create a symbiotic relationship. Um, So endo means to like sort of engulf and then symbiotic means like symbiosis. So um, over time, as, as we evolved from, you know, the ocean and many, 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 many thousands of hundreds millions of years later, we now are humans and we have, we're really a holobiome, which is really interesting word, which means we have multiple sources of DNA in our body. We have our DNA, we have mitochondrial DNA, and we have bacterial DNA. And there's even viruses and fungal, right? So we're just like this living system. Um, But mitochondria are power plants, but they're also the signal transducers and the general contractors of the cell. So they really decide not only how much energy to make, but where the energy should be directed to go. And the general programming of the body is, am I here alive? Can I survive? Do I have resources? Or... Am I at peace? Can I reproduce? Can I, is there peace? Is this a time? Is this a good time to like make more of me? So mitochondria, just like humans, 
they come together they and they fuse and then they break apart. So, so there's there's this thing called fusion and fission. And it's this cycle of energy, of turnover of mitochondria. And in that process of turnover, we literally examine which mitochondria are carrying a charge. And then we throw out the ones that don't carry a, a good charge, the batteries that don't longer, no longer carry a charge. We got to get rid of those. So um, that's part of the reason why we need a good solid overnight fast. We need an occasional extended fast. And that's what in, initiates autophagy and mitophagy, which is throwing out the parts of the cell that are malfunctioning, like protein, uh, that are just kind of like, a, it's like, like a dirty kitchen. It's not easy to cook in a dirty kitchen. If there's a bunch of crap laying out on the counters, you got to clean that off or you can make a new meal. And so um, to get optimally functioning mitochondria, you have to have basically you have to have the right fuel in the body and then you have to have the right signal sent to the body. And you also have to create the right conditions for the body to be able to thrive. And so the biggest sort of pillars of this book are based on optimizing metabolism, mastering the stress response, maintaining mobility. So movement is really key and then um, making connection. So connection is really this like really fundamental part of life that I didn't fully understand until I understood mitochondria and I was like, oh, we not we, we can't just like op- be in optimal health on our own plugged into a community. We need to be part of an environment. We need to be part of families and friends and partners. And these relationships create the conditions where our nervous system can feel safe and feel protected and feel nourished. And also when we come together with other people, we share information and resources. So it enhances your literal social capital. It can enhance your literal capital. And think about it, think about food and exercise. Like you learn so much about how to live by your by your conditioning of those you those who you spend your time with. That literally influences like how you take care of yourself. So um the connection piece is something that I think is really fundamental that and very overlooked by most people and most biohackers are not biohacking their social lives. They're not biohacking their connection. They're not biohacking their communities. They're focusing on their individual bodies. And, and I do believe that's important at the end of the day, you need to decide how to live your life. But what I've been really impressed by is just like how much of an influence our relationships are to our health. And that's, and that's largely mediated through the stress response and oxytocin um, so when we're isolated and alone, we increase our stre- our HPA axis tone and we reduce our bagel tone and that's not great. And then when we're connected and safe and, and we actually improve our bagel tone and we actually increase our oxytocin output, which is an anti-inflammatory, it's an antioxidant, it's mitoprotective, it's cardioprotective. So what I'm trying to kind of tr- teach the world is... We need to tra- we need to actually not only take the individualized approach, the personalized approach to optimizing health, but we also need to look at all of our environment around us and the people we spend our time with to see how that's affecting how we live. Because the biggest factor in long-term health and relationship quality, oftentimes what I've found in my clientele is that when people are not feeding themselves properly and not exercising properly, it's because there's stuff going on in their social life that's causing serious stress, either the work or the relationships. So I really take a holistic approach to health. And um, in the mitochondria, believe it or not, they are the they are like sort of this um, perfect example of how life and these these patterns of existence are conserved on multiple levels because they're just such wonderful, interesting parts of ourselves. 
I love that. And I, um, you know, in the book you talk about your own, you know, journey through medical school and how you weren't necessarily doing very well. And then you started changing your lifestyle and people were like, what was going on? And it was, it was, as I was reading through it, it was like, wow, this is, I had almost the identical experience to you in that as as I was going through chiropractic school, I was, it was so intense. It was like, I was sitting all the time, like sitting in lectures and then sitting to study for the exams and then isolating, like not really being involved in, uh, you know, the extracurricular activities or the opportunities that were available to me and like gained weight was very much depressed, really didn't, really didn't enjoy, um, my schooling. And quite frankly, like my grades, you know, as you had said, like grades also suffered, um, as Mm -hmm. well. And I think that my journey, uh, very similarly to yours, just touching on this community aspect has been, I started off thinking, well, I need to, I need to change myself first. And now as I feel I've come into, I feel like I really know what works for me. I know how to squat. I know how to deadlift. I know all the intricacies of my own mechanics. It's like, okay, I also need some friends. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I also need to have some, you know, powerful women and men around me that are, um, um, that are supportive and cheer me up and charge my batteries, you know, charge the mitochondrial batteries as, um, as you've been talking yeah. about. And I think it's a natural evolution. I had a conversation similar to this um, with uh, Molly Galbraith, maybe a year or two ago now, where she was talking about like change yourself. Like, you know, we have to be, we have to be okay sort of starting with ourselves first, but then also not forgetting the communal part of what it means to, in her, she was talking about becoming a strong woman and like a strong girl. Um, but I think that that's the same lesson applies here in that you can start with yourself and say, what are all the bio? hacking tools? How can I heal my hormones? How can I get into the intricacies of my metabolism so that I feel great, so that I have the energetic capacity to people, right? So that I can go out and be with other people and make these connections so that these are, and create these long lasting mm-hmm. um, relationships. Did, did you find that that was sort of the order for you as well? It was like self first and then community, or did you, or I, I, find, I feel like you're a bit more extroverted yeah, than I no. am. I tend to be a bit more shut down which is something I'm working on, but I mean, I, I think I, it's weird because, um, what's really strange is that like, I think for my entire life, I've really, I've really overemphasized social connection in a lot of ways. I've always been a very social butterfly, mm. but then medical school, I was really isolated and I was really not, I didn't have a lot of friends. I like honestly didn't just, I saw it as like a stepping stone. I was like, um, I just need to get through this next four years and then I can start my life. You and know, my classmates and it was like, were getting married with each other. Like everyone was oh, marrying yeah. everyone. And I'm like, man, yeah. this is like, what am I missing out on? Yeah. I was the same way. I was, I'm, but I, I tend I was to be definitely more of stunted. Yeah. I definitely found like my, my general romantic life was a little stunted by medical school. I didn't really start dating seriously until my thirties. And, um, and yet at the same time, like I definitely lived in the same hometown. I was like going to medical school in my hometown. So I knew my, my family, I actually spent a lot of time with them during medical school. And that was really supportive and helpful. And I'm really grateful to them for everything they've done for me. But um, when I moved to the Bay Area and and for my residency and for just generally because I wanted to live in the Bay Area because I was like, this is where it's at. Um, I... I, I literally moved there and I chose my residency program specifically out of um, a desire to be around people that I knew and have friends. And so like I had been to Burning Man and I'd met a bunch of people there and they all like opened up their homes to me and they like created, they threw parties for me and they were like, you need to move here. And it was like this, 
it was definitely a, 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 a choice of community over like caliber of school. Um, funnily enough, I ended up teaching at Stanford, which is funny because I didn't get into medical school at Stanford, but I taught in medical school at Stanford, which is cre- pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely spent, I'd say the last, I, I think a lot of my life in the last 10 to 20 years has been about my own personal um with a with a realization sort of without honestly not even fully conscious realization of just how important my community was to me it was almost like this it was like it was very subconscious type knowing and then when I started studying and researching to teach at Stanford I was like teaching about relationships and I was like wait how did I miss this this is like really important like how did I not know that this was the thing that impacts health like long term um at the same time, I I don't I, I think it was literally my friendships in the Bay and my the influence of the people I was spending time with that led to me becoming who I am. Like when you spend time with people who are pushing the limits, who are um living like who are literally like create like on the edge of innovation, it, it influences who you are, influences what's possible for you. So like I really just I, I think that the biohacking movement that started in the Bay um, was certainly an influence on me, you know, like it was, it was definitely a lot of my clientele were biohacking. And so I, and I made a, I mean, I sort of made a name for myself as a doctor and an innovator. And, um, and what I noticed was that like a lot of the stuff that was working for men wasn't working for women the same way. And I was like, what the heck, why are women and men so different? And I just realized that like over time there was this knowing of like, oh, like we really like part of the reason why, like, I think medical school is so hard um, specifically for, for women is actually there's more women going to medical school than ever and actually outnumbering men, but women are existing in a very masculine world, very patriarchal world. And I'm not like a super woke, like mind virus person, but I definitely know that I live in a man's world and, and the the men's world is not designed like a women's cycle. So like one of the most challenging parts of being a female entrepreneur and a doctor is like, you don't get to really always take that week off that you need, you know, like that not off, but like that time you need during your menstrual period to like really reset and recuperate and relax, get that. And as a result, like it's really pretty easy for women to, to get burned out. It's really easy for women to get period dysfunction for hormone, hormone dysfunction, HPA axis dysfunction, thyroid dysfunction, because we're just not built the same way as men. We're not built to be out and um, necessarily like working 24, seven, seven days a week, you know, 30 days a month, 33, six, five days a year. And yet women's responsibilities have gotten bigger. They're the breadwinners more and more often. They're raising children and taking care of the house. A lot of women are having kids alone without partners. And so we have a lot of stress on our bodies and that stress, unfortunately, is going to disrupt your hormones. And it's if you don't manage, if you don't manage it, if you don't master it. And like, I'm one of those people who like, even though I know a lot of what I teach in my book is, is important. I still have to remind myself, like, you need to recover. You need to use your recovery tools. You need to do, you need to actually like do more um, restorative exercises. You need to ride your bike and, and do a little bit less, you know, intense training when your body is telling you that it needs rest. And it's hard for us to listen to that voice because the outside world is telling us you need to do more. You need to achieve more. You need to be more. And, and frankly, like this last year, like I, I had a, insanely busy year and this was probably the one year of my life i'd say aside from like during my residency when i was really pretty 
Uh, one of the more stressful years of my life because I was building a company and launching a book and a course and moving to a new city and traveling to different cities. So it was like, it took a lot out of me this year, but, um, because I know how to biohack and because I know how to course correct, like I was able to like take a really solid vacation and I came back feeling like really amazing. And we don't give ourselves enough time off. We don't give ourselves enough vacation time. Like most people don't take enough vacation time. And, um, and I think this like sort of great reset that's happening in our city and this, um, this, this sort of silent quitting movement is a, is a, consequence of everyone kind of realizing like the way we're living isn't working for everybody you know and i do think that the world is shifting to be more egalitarian and i think that women are becoming bigger leaders in the world and if we're going to create a new better more stable harmonious world then we need to find a new way to work that works with our bodies and our rhythms and um that's what 2023 is about for me frankly and just more time with friends and family and, um, and that's, that's certainly a consequence of feeling a little bit like I got to take my own medicine, you know, like I really got to, I got to take my own medicine and I've been doing that lately and it's been working really well. It's amazing when even just a simple, um, act of tracking your cycle, you know, it's like maybe, this oh, yeah. week, maybe this week I'm not going to go for a PR, let's say in the gym, maybe I'm just going to yeah. you know, lighten up the weight, you know, and I'm going to punch out higher reps even just that little tweak for me has been, you know, I love yes. that you're like, I have to take my own medicine because I, I do the same thing. I'm like, you know what all of you need? You all need meditation. You know what you all need? It's like, yeah. you know, and they always, you know, there's, I can't remember who said this, but whenever you sort of point the finger out, there's like three fingers pointing back at you, something like that. Oh yeah. Um, so it, it is. I actually, I did meditate today for about 20 minutes and I went and rode my bike around the, um, the water here in Austin. And I, I have to say the mood that it puts you in when you just like get that meditation time in the movement in a good solid shower, you know, a little bit of food. Like it just, I, I felt, I got sunlight in my face and I came back from this trip being like, God, I'm so grateful for my life. I'm so lucky to be starting this year anew. And the, the another thing a lot of women don't realize is that this inner voice really specifically around stress, like we have an inner, inner monkey mind and that monkey mind is either reducing your stress or adding to your stress. And if that inner dialogue is consistently negative towards yourself or others, you will literally start manifesting that as your reality because that is what your think your thoughts become things. And I'm I'm so aware of my thoughts now and I'm like the more you meditate, the more you can hear you hear your thoughts and hear your intuition and really listen to it. And so I've been like trying to tune in more and more to my, what am I, what is my intuition telling me? And women have such powerful intuition. We just have to listen to it. And um, today my intuition was like, you know what? You don't really feel like weightlifting during a period, maybe go on a bike ride and get into flow. And I was singing on my bike ride and I was riding around and I was like, wow, there's not a lot of people out right now. It was like 8am or so. And I just felt so free and it felt so in, in, in flow. And I was like, gosh, this is like such a great way to start the week. You know, I just got back from Puerto Rico yesterday. And, um, you know, we, I was just thinking on my bike ride, like we literally either make ourselves happy or sad, depending on how we think. And so watching your thoughts and really learning to like cancel the negative thoughts and really replace them with new positive things. Mindset is so fundamental to stress management. Like I'm heading into a very stressful month. I'm launching a book. I'm on a ton of podcasts. I've got meetings. I'm like finishing up to-do lists. I've got all these marketing relationships, all these brands. And 
And I've just like, I've just decided like, I'm going to have a great month. I'm going to have a month that's like, yes, it's stressful, but I'm going to like make the best of it and I'm going to enjoy it. And like, that's a different mindset that I had in December, which was like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. And I just like, let it get to me over and over again. And it really did. And, um, and I think we need to like, we, we need to be more mindful of what's, what we're thinking and feeling so that we can um, really tune in to our bodies and our minds and act- and like really sit with like, what do I need right now? Because a lot of women are very self-sacrificing and a lot of moms out there that I'm sure are listening to this or, um, you know, women running companies are like, there's this sort of like general gist of as women are just so used to being self-sacrificing. But we actually do need to put ourselves, um, you know, we, we do need to put our face mask on first. And we do, we do need to nourish our bodies and minds so that we can be our best. So what are some, uh, in the book, you outlined several uh, signs of insufficient energy, which, you know, coming back to this, you know, mitochondrial efficiency and production, there was a couple of them that I just wanted to highlight, but I would like you to go yeah. through uh, a list. But you talked about things like dull skin and yeah. lack of autofluorescence, which I'd love to touch yeah. on. And then the other yeah. one that you said, um, which I was like, oh, I didn't even put that together. But of course, is the this idea of dulled senses. So like a dulled sense of smell like a marked or a moderate loss of smell where you can't smell anything unless it's kind of like right under your nose, hearing, vision, taste, like all the senses. Talk us through what are some of the signs of insufficient energy and then just kind of double click on on those two, if you don't mind, because I loved loved those as as, um, qualifiers. Sure. Um, So if you think about your body like a big battery and your mitochondria are like batteries and your cell, cell membranes are like batteries, literally energy is life. So what is energy, but it's literally a differential charge. Polarity. Polarity is basically a big piece of the energetic puzzle. Um, Some people could also consider energy to be like electron flow or light is energy and sound is energy. But in the body, when we have energy, we are literally creating an energetic charge and and it's through an electrochemical gradient. And that gradient is, is basically... Uh, when you create electrochemical uh, electrochemical gradient, what you're doing is kind of like making like a hydroelectric dam where if you think about water that's being pumped or, or water that's like going, if you think about like um, when there's like water up here, water down here, and you're pouring water from top to bottom, it flows from high to low, right? And so there's essentially um, hydrogen turbine in the cell that's that's called ATPase. And it's that flow, that, that spinning of that turbine that creates a flow of hydrogen atoms that creates a differential charge between the two um, membranes. And that is what creates the battery. So you just have to understand that like polarity is life and lack of polarity means that you're, you you wouldn't be alive. Um, So when we have nerve, we have a nervous system and it literally functions through transmitting action potentials. And if you don't have effective energy flow through your nervous system, then you're going to find your hearing is going to go down. You're going to find your smell is not going to be as sharp. You're going to find that your taste is not going to be as obvious. This is why COVID like COVID is really wreaked havoc on the nervous system because COVID is a, is a, is a virus and viruses go inside the cell sometimes. And then they hijack your metabolic machinery for their own purposes. They cause massive inflammation and they, that inflammation causes destruction in the cell and the mitochondria are actually a, they play a key role in the inflammasome. So when you go into the cell and you, and you affect mitochondrial function, you get a brownout in the body. 
And that's part of the reason why we see the, the, the senses are dulled. And there's a lot of people getting paresthesias, like tingling, tingling nervous system issues. Um, there's a lot of people getting anxiety post COVID. There's a lot of people getting depression. There's a lot of people getting chronic fatigue. There's a lot of people getting brain fog, loss of smell and taste. And it's like, when everyone's trying to like, we don't know how COVID works. It's like, no, we actually do. It's called, it's a virus and viruses hijack metabolic metabolism. And that's how they do their work. And that's how they propagate. Right. So, um, so when you think like when I got sick with COVID, my skin was sallow, my, um, I actually, it's so interesting. I went and did ozone therapy and my blood was like very dark. It was like, I was laying in bed for a few days. So it was not highly oxygenated. And when I got really well and happy and healthy, my blood, um, I saw it like a few months later when I was doing, um, I was doing uh, NAD therapy a month later and I had like recharged my body through NAD therapy, through the nano V device, through PEMF mats, through sleep, through hiking, through yoga, through healthy food. And I went from looking really dull skinned to being like beaming with light, like beaming, like my cells were charged. And it's funny because I just got this device in uh, from this company my friend started called Ion Layer. And it's an NAD patch. And so a lot of people don't understand NAD and what it does, but it's basically a cofactor in metabolism that helps the mitochondrial function better. So um, it's really key for people to understand that like the way that you look and the way that your skin looks is a pretty good reflection of like how well your body's be underneath the surface. And um, it's not a perfect reflection, but it is a, it is a good, it is a good, good tool. Now, um, when you, when people exercise, one of the things that you notice is that your skin will start to glow and you're, you, you tend to like have more light emitted, but just because you exercise doesn't necessarily mean you're, you have healthy metabolism. Cause I've actually, I dated a guy once who, um, was a bodybuilder, but he would drink lots of sugar, lots and lots of sugar before he would work out to get that insulin. Um, and he had prediabetes on, uh, and, and he, he definitely looked physically buff, but he didn't have that bright glowing skin. And I showed him his, 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 you know, I was like, Hey dude, like you need to watch out for the sugar intake that you're consuming. You're eating a lot of rice and it's not really working for your metabolism. So you can't just look at physical signs. You do need to look at some labs too, because some things can start looking like problematic way earlier before someone becomes, um, you know, dysfunctional with metabolism. But generally speaking, if you walk to China, if you go to China and go to Beijing, Beijing airport on a layover, there's so much pollution in Beijing and everyone's skin is like, it's, it's honestly very gray and green on, honestly. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying this as a racist thing. I was like, I was only in Beijing for three hours, but I was surprised at the bus that I took from one part of the air terminal to the other. And like the, the you could literally see the pollution in the air. And I noticed, that have a lot of pollution, my skin doesn't, doesn't look as bright, doesn't look as beautiful. And um, another really important sign of, of um, energy issues is acne and wrinkles. So because your wrinkle is means it's a problem because like, but premature wrinkling and premature and lots of acne and in, in a, in a fully grown adult. Um, and also like, I'm not going to say this, that this is necessary for everyone, but if you have premature gray hair, that is also a sign. And, and there's different age groups in the book that I, I meant of like who, um, like how old do you need to be to have premature gray hair? Like I have maybe one gray hair in my head and I'm 38, which is almost 39. And that's a pretty good signal that like 
my mitochondria are functioning really well because like my sisters and my mom, like most of my family, they've, they've got more gray than I do. And I've spent the last 10 years optimizing metabolic health. Now is my metabolic health perfect? Absolutely not. Like I, when, when I'm stressed out, blood sugar spikes, when I've got a lot of cortisol and I, and I had high cortisol this year, it gave me a little bit of insulin resistance. So like I am not perfect by any means, but the key to understanding biohacking is that you don't need to be perfect. You just need to take this data and change your lifestyle accordingly and recognize that there's going to be times in your life that you're going to be spending more energy as times in your life that you're going to be building more energy. And sometimes when you got a lot of demands, that's when you spend some of the money in the bank and then you got to rebuild that money. You got to rebuild that, that money supply. So, um, Fortunately, when I had COVID, I didn't lose my, my, my sense of smell or taste, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, I immediately went and biohacked a bunch of things that month because I was like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get chronic fatigue from this. Um, generally speaking, if you wake up in the morning and you're really, really tired and you can't get out of bed easily, it's a pretty good sign that you're not getting good rest. It's a pretty good sign that you probably have something going on with your sleep and or there could be um, high cortisol or low cortisol. So, um, you know, somebody who's burned out somebody who has no energy, somebody who can't maintain their blood sugar or their blood pressure because their cortisol is extremely low. That is because they've burned out their mitochondria and they've burned out their cells. And I've burned out before multiple times in my life. And I'm not proud of it because it's been really hard to recover from burnout, but um, burnout is real. And people are like, burnout is a, is a occupational condition. And I'm like, burnout is mitochondrial dysfunction as a result of, of, of literally like, overloading your system with work for so long that you literally start wearing out the machinery of the cell and you actually have to spend time rebuilding. So um, to me, you know, there's a bunch of different ways of, of thinking about um, energy deficiency, but, you know, if you have prediabetes, if you have insulin resistance, if you have diabetes, if you have hypertension, you have metabolic dysfunction. And so you've probably broken your mitochondria a little bit. And that's unfortunately the reality for at least one in three people in this country who have prediabetes. And, um, and, and so we've got a epidemic of this stuff. And my, my book is really about teaching people the fundamentals of like, what is health? And then what are ways you can measure it through devices like um, blood sugar monitoring, um, stress monitoring, HRV monitoring, movement monitoring, sleep monitoring, lab monitoring. Um, and then also just in, intuitive monitoring, like taking, taking, a intuitive look into how you're living and you're feeling and giving you an idea of like showing you like, this is how you think about health conceptually. Um, and that that's really what I'm, I'm aiming to help people do. I think um, just to piggyback on the autofluorescence or the dull skin, I had COVID last, I think it was January and I didn't want to cancel uh, an interview that I had with uh, Dr. Jamie Seaman. Uh, she's known as fit and fabulous, um, online. And if you go to that video, she's awesome. my skin <laughs> is gray. Like I'm literally wow. like, I, cause my people always comment like your skin, your skin, your skin. And yes, you know, to your point, you know, metabolism and training and stress management all contribute to healthy glowing skin. But that particular episode, my skin, I was ashen gray. Mm -hmm. I, and I was, I was like, uh, it, like, I was like, I need to put some highlighter, you know, like I need to like pump this up because I was flat. And even then with the highlighter, yeah. it just, I looked gray. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about stress because we, I think that there is, uh, we, we've alluded to it a couple of times with, you know, burnout and women living in a world that is designed for men. Um, and 
I, I would, you know, agree with you insofar as I think women really do need to understand how we are not small versions of men. We're not little men. Yeah. We have a different reproductive rhythm, at least in our fer- like years of fertility. Um, but there's, I also think that the word stress, like there's stress and there's distress, right? And I love in the book, you talk about this idea, I was talking to you about this in the pre-chat, let's toggling these stressors, these mitohormetic stressors. Yeah. So I, th- I thought we might go through this because this was, I was like, oh, I just love this framing. I love the framing of this. So talk to us about toggling stressors yeah. so that we are stressing the system out, but then there's an adaptive response. You know, we've been talking about like yeah. health as the ability to adapt appropriately to our internal and external environments. How might we toggle? Um, and maybe we can list out some of the, uh, some of the, you know, sort of push and pull, let's say, or push and press, however you'd like to, uh, categorize yeah. them. Some of the different stressors that we can, um, that we can do to develop some of this, um, uh, strength and resilience and grit. Well, okay. So I met this guy, Ben Gibson, many years ago, and he became a mentor to me. And he has a biotech company all about mitochondrial health. And he's um, he's absolutely, you know, some, some of the biggest influences of my life have not been doctors, have been people who weren't, weren't um, indoctrinated with modern medicine. And so they were able to go into the medical literature and design their own ways of thinking about the body and health and then applying those themselves. And so Ben was this investment banker who um, basically went from being overweight and out of shape to being easily the fittest man I've ever met. Like big wave surfer. I'm talking hundred foot waves and a yogi who can do the splits and literally balance on his hands and like do whatever he puts his mind to. And I spent a lot of time with him. He, He like mentored me a bit. And I was like, Ben, what? what do you, what do you mean I need to know about mitochondria? And he's like, look, everything about health is mitochondrial based. And so you really got to fundamentally understand this toggling of mitochondrial stressors, which is what creates the um, signaling to the cell to protect itself and to repair itself. And I was like, Oh my God. So a big problem in modern society is that we sit all day long. We eat all day long. We don't recover enough. And so our bodies are in a state of imbalance because we are supposed to be going from stress to recovery, from exercise to rest, from light in the morning to dark at night, from eating to fasting. And these rhythms have been lost in modern lifestyles because we have food all the time. People eat until late at night. They get blue light in their face until late at night. I know many, many people who do not sleep properly because they are up late watching television or be on their computers working. And and they're like, but I do get my best work done at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, like, I don't care when you work best. There's really not that many people in the world who need to be up that late. Um, And hormesis is really this process of minor stressors make you stronger. So exercise, when you lift weights, it rips apart those muscles and you rebuild. But if you lift weights seven days a week, like I've had one of my female clients who was a bodybuilder and she was starting to get hormone dysfunction, she's not getting recovery. I'm like, look, you cannot not repair those muscles. Like, otherwise you're just going to stress your system. And she just learned that she needed to take a little bit more time off and she started losing weight, started getting the gains she wanted in the gym. And it was like, this is the fundamental programming of the body because this is the programming that we adapted to live with in the savannah. So we still have primitive genetics in a modern world. And this mismatch is really why we're so sick. 
So if you want to get healthier than the average person, then get them. Getting um, getting some cardio, not a lot. I wouldn't do chronic cardio all day long. I did a bit of a hour. I did about an hour long bike ride today because I just felt like cardio because I'd been like traveling yesterday. But generally speaking, I really recommend weightlifting for everyone, um, and then some some cardiovascular training to keep that heart strong, um, and then recovery, 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 recovery. Like you need to get good rest at night, and then light in the first thing in the morning. Obviously, Huberman, that's his like number one thing he recommends. But you need to signal to the cell that it's daytime because that sends all sorts of messages to the body's um, organs that need to be turned on that are synchronized through clock, clock genes. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And then, um, there's other things you can do, which are kind of cool. Things like um, hypoxia, hyperoxia, which is another toggle. Um, so free diving or um, breathwork practices. Part of the reason why breath work feels so good is because you're literally sending the signal to the mitochondria to repair itself and to like function better. So breathing is one of the best things you can do. Um, improves vagal tone. I mean, I did the, um, I, I love box breathing, four breaths in, four breaths hold, four, four, four breaths in, four seconds hold, four breaths out. Um, sorry, it's like uh, four seconds in, four, four hold, four out. It's Andrew Weil's breath. Um, it's like and box, then it's like four up hold, it's four like, down hold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice little box. And then, um, and then, uh, yeah. So, so basically it's this, it's this back and forth. Um, you know, but, but fasting is, is one that really, really causes a lot of controversy because a lot of people are just like, fasting is not good for you. And I'm like, look, fasting fixed my fasting glucose when I was really, I had a borderline prediabetes and it wasn't, if it wasn't for fasting, I wouldn't have got my, my blood sugar down from like upper nineties to lower eighties. And it was literally fasting that did that for me. But is it the only way to do that? No, absolutely not. But did it work for me? Yeah. Do I fast a lot now? No, I don't. I do maybe 12 to 14 hours, but I don't do as many long fasts because my body doesn't need to do as many long fasts. Well, that's the, um, I think what you're saying there, if I can interrupt for a moment, is so yeah. fundamentally important. It's like the yeah. the tool that you use to heal your metabolic dysfunction is not yeah. going to be the same application of the tool when you have healed. So you fasted longer when you had a blood glucose dysregulation, and now you don't need to apply that, that lever of length, let's say, or frequency or amplitude as often because you are healthy. And that is where I think the controversy uh, with fasting comes in. Cause someone's like, fasting is a great tool for weight loss or fasting is a great tool for, you know, insert outcome here. 
And then they just take it to the extreme and never change. You see that mm-hmm. with keto. You see that mm-hmm. with carnivore. You see that with veganism. Like you yes. see it across the board where it's like, it's this one thing and they go so hard on it and they don't actually understand the nuance, which you just so beautifully uh, explained in that you do something for a short term, you ride the area under the curve. And then once you have healed, you have a different application of that tool. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of the big pieces of the book around personalized nutrition. It's like you, we have these dietary dogmatic camps and they're all warring against each other. And I'm just so tired of it. I'm like, is anyone else exhausted by the number of people on YouTube and, and Instagram who are just like bashing plants and vegetables. Like, I'm sorry. I'm over it. I'm so, so sorry. I'm over it. Over it. It's (laughs) dumb. And it's literally, it's, 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 it's also not sustainable as a society to put everybody on meat based diets. And it's also just not great for the microbiome. And I'm, and looks, if you, if, if being carnivore worked for you, for your autoimmunity, awesome. And go for it. And if it feels good and you like it and you, and you enjoy it and it makes you happy and, and it makes you feel like you're thriving, great. But just because I like to eat a salad is not something that I should be vilified for. You know, like I love vegetables. I love making salads. I get so much joy, of like putting random things into a bowl and putting dressing on it. And like, you know, I love meat and I love vegetables. I'd say like a lot of my diet is very paleo. Um, and at the same time, like, I sometimes veer off of it when I travel. Like I ate a bunch of, I mean, I guess plantains are technically paleo, but I definitely don't eat like normally a lot of um, rice. I don't normally eat a lot of um, beans, but I was in Puerto Rico and rice and beans are part of the culture. And so I ate them. And guess what? I gained a few piece. That's the toggling piece, right? It's like keto and carbs, right? It's like, yeah. And then rest. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I also like, I was moving my body quite a lot. And, you know, I, I really think that most people would, would benefit tremendously if they, um, if they just looked at diets as like, let's try this on and let's see if this fits and let's see if this works. Cause I've tried Mediterranean, I've tried vegan, vegetarian, um, keto, paleo, and I've sort of settled around Mediterranean paleo with like a Scandinavian bent because I love Scandinavian food. And sometimes I cook, but I, I love cooking food from all over the world. Like I loved cooking Japanese food. I love cooking Ethiopian food. Um, but we've kind of gotten to this point where like in America, People are just like so confused about nutrition that they have rigid, 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 rigid rules. And it's like, look, if you have autoimmune conditions, if you have like a real health condition and you absolutely need to eliminate us for a total food group, that's totally reasonable. And I, and I've been there when I had gut dysfunction and I had, um, and I didn't know I had celiac. I, I had to really, really spend a lot of time on a gaps types diet, like a specific diet, a diet that was pretty restricted and over time, as my body is healed, I've been able to eat dairy. I can eat more, you know, I can eat more grains here and there. But I, I, I have found a sort of common medium of what works for me. And the pandemic really taught me that being dogmatic and being completely um, strict all the time actually makes me less fun to hang out with actually makes me less enjoyable as a person to make a dinner for, you know? And so I, 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 I didn't bend, I didn't break all my, all my rules, but I definitely bent to them a little bit because I was like, if I'm going to try to reach millions of people to help them with their health, then trying to be this perfect image of health 
is actually just like not, it's not help. It's not helpful for a lot of people. Cause like a lot of people are just like, I'm never going to be able to do that. I spent time in Peoria, Illinois, my hometown and being healthy in, in the Midwest is not that easy. Like I had to basically learn to find the, I had to go find the farmer's markets. I had to go find the natural food stores. I had to go find the, the purveyors that had grass fed meat. And it was like literally hunting and gathering. Um, I even started foraging and like, it was not an easy feat. And I was like, wow, I am an expert in this stuff. Most people are not. So how do we get the vast majority of people to get healthier? We focus on the biggest things that will change your health, which is slowly phasing out a lot of packaged processed foods, slowly phasing out a lot of um, a lot of fast foods, and slowly phasing out the ultra processed crap that we know is causing problems for your health, and slowly phasing in whole foods. And then when you're on a whole food based diet. Figuring out, okay, well, what macros feel best for my goals? What really feels best for my life? Like, what what really nourishes me? What makes me feel good? And and play with ex- it, experimenting, and you play yeah. with it. And like yeah. going keto was really for me to get into a fat. If I would, if I hadn't gone keto for a month or two, I wouldn't have been able to, would would not have been able to fast because fasting was I was metabolically flexible, mm-hmm. and metabolic flexibility is when your cells are not able to gear shift. In fact. And, um, and, and that makes it hard for you to, to sort of go from fat to carb metabolism and back. And that's also what makes it hard for you to actually go into fat metabolism if you're trying to fast. So a lot of people try to fast and they end up breaking down because they're just like, oh my God, I can't do this. You know, that's a lesson to be learned. That's just like, okay, maybe I need to like slowly work in some fat, healthy fats into my body and slowly work in like a, a more ketogenic diet, a little bit period of time just so I can get my body back into the ability to break down my own fat. And, um, you know, like all of this stuff is a lot easier, by the way, if you're not under enormous amounts of stress. So like the pandemic itself made a lot of the things that I typically biohack with really challenging because when you're under enormous stress, your body literally craves stability. It craves regularity. It doesn't crave a lot of fasting. It doesn't crave a lot of ketosis. It craves like small meals and consistency over time. Um, so I, I, I have found that like under the, the highest stress periods of my life, um, eating consistent meal times, eating more balanced macros is really what works for me. And then when I'm in more of a state of peace and calm, then I can go do the moderators. I can do the challenges. The biggest problem for women when they're trying to biohack, they're like, they're doing like cold plunge every day, hit training, five, six days a week. And they're under, and they're, and they're under eating. And like, why can't I lose weight? And it's like, well, your body is literally under a massive state of threat. <laughs> and have, it's like, it's not going to, it's like, I, I, I put on maybe five pounds in the last few months, maybe a few, like since maybe, uh, maybe October or so. And it was literally stress related. And we, women need to recognize that like stress related weight gain is a, a protect mechanism. That's an adaptive response. And it, as long as you don't let it continue and, and go out of control, sometimes it's actually helpful for your body to actually have a little bit of extra weight on it. And and then when your body is is in a state of relaxation and calm, it can let it go. I'm sure you've seen this with women like who really struggle with weight loss. Like we talked about this on the last podcast. It's like you can't beat yourself up for your body protecting you. You know, like you have to like like self love and like learning how to be really kind to yourself is. Um, 
Also a really important lesson that I'm trying to teach in this book, which is the way that you treat yourself is really, really important for how your body responds to, um, to, to whatever you're trying to accomplish with your, with your health. And it it plays a really big role in whether or not a lot of biohacking tools are going to work for you or not. Because I've seen many times where women are like, I'm trying everything and nothing's working. And it's like, well, the one thing that you haven't tried is like recovery and reducing your stress and maybe giving yourself a little bit of a break because there's a lot going on in your life right now and that's okay. And like that, 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 that sometimes is what you need is to actually look at your body and look at your mind and be like, Oh my God, look at what I'm doing for myself to survive this, this, this crazy world we're living in. And I think for, for women as well, it's what I often see anyway, is a woman who decides to fast or keto or weight train, or she's on some type of weight loss or hormonal balancing journey. And she goes all in, it's a 10 out of 10 all the time. And so I, I love the idea of this like minimum effective dose. Like what's the smallest, like if a 10 out of 10 for you is working out, I don't know, six days a week. And one of those days is cardio or hit training. And then the other four or five or even less than that, maybe four days training, you know, two days off, whatever it is. Um, what is a one out of 10? What's the, what's yeah. the, defi- what's the one look like? What's the two look like? And then kind of think about scaling up from there. You know, what I think we yeah. do often as women is, you know, because we live in this very, uh, you know, to your point uh, prior, like living in a man's world where it is very much celebrated to go out and come back with the kill and go out with the accolades and the success and the setting the goals. We don't realize that we can't, that we can be beginners, that we can start off slow and then kind of move from there. And this is where I often see a lot of menstrual, you know, coming back to the menstrual cycle as it always does on the show in some capacity, you know, this is where we see a lot of menstrual cycle dysfunction. People are, we are pretending like uh, we don't have a reproductive system or, you know, in the, you know, with weight loss, we lose, yep. we tend to be, let's say if we're just looking at numbers, which I never think is a good metric, but if we're just looking at the scale, we're always a little bit lighter in the follicular phase, always a little bit heavier in the luteal phase. After a leg day, I gain like four or five pounds as well. So like, Boom. I think, so I think you need to, you know, because my legs are swollen and they're inflamed and they're healing all the things. So I think that we also just have to recognize the, not only the daily, but the cyclical fluctuations that can happen yes. uh, over the course of a woman's cycle. So if you're thinking about weight loss, it's like directionally is the scale moving in the right direction month over yeah. month or like at a, ve- like I, I kind of don't like to look at the scale no more than like, you know, I, I measure like at around ovulation and then at around bleed week. And I kind of just continue there. Yeah. Um, but I think that also understanding that there's all these other factors, sleep, you know, as you mentioned, Uh, stress levels, as you mentioned, all these other things are going to contribute to a temporary, you know, you're going to be holding more water in the luteal phase. And it's like, easy come, easy go, ladies. Like it doesn't, that stuff doesn't really matter. Like stop getting focused on the absolute number on the scale. And I actually, for my sort of orthorexic or type A type of um, uh, clients, I like to actually shift it to more performance. Like you said today, you know, I felt like, you know, I'm on my bleed week. I wanted to, didn't want to do weights. I wanted to go for a nice long bike ride today and sort of intuitive, intuitively felt like a longer bike ride today was good for, you know, whatever you needed from travel and all of that. I also think, um, I would love for the women who are listening to this today to, to be able to 
have some sort of general plan, as you said, weights at the base of your, of your exercise program, but be willing to kind of change and modulate the way that you train over the course of the cycle. I think that that is very, very important. And a lot of women get that wrong, I think. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I, um, I went through my phone yesterday to pick out all these photos to do like a year in review for myself, like on my Instagram, like what did I do last year? Where did I go? What did my body look like? Cause I, I, I find that actually photos of my body naked are more indicative of my, my fitness than my weight, the scale. Cause my the scale, like, and it, it doesn't really change the scale that much actually. But, um, now, if I, if I do gain fat, I do get curvier. I do have like, you know, bigger butt and bigger breasts. But specifically what I noticed over time was like, I could literally see that the months where I was the most stressed were I was like the most out of shape. And like my body was a lot softer. My body was a lot like just I wasn't able to make it to the gym as much. And then when I was in more stable, when things were more stable, things were more consistent I would just fluctuate back. And and I don't know about how many women are out, out there like me, but it's surprising just how quickly I can go in and out of shape. Like literally it takes me like a month of just not exercising to like lose a lot of my, like not too many of my gains, but like I can go from pretty fit Enough looking and strong and it. lean yeah. to like, yeah, it's just pretty, it's pretty cool to see how your body is always changing. And I think that what's interesting is when I was younger, my mindset was like, if I just do all these things, then I will get this body and it will stick. And it's like, no, your body is always changing with the world around you. And we need to look at our bodies as this like beautiful thing that can take care of us and that can, that can accomplish so many things. But like when you can develop a better relationship to fitness, to movement, to like, it should be kind to yourself. Not everybody needs to be a bodybuilder. Although I definitely want a bodybuilding coach next year because I kind of want to get, I don't want to compete, but I like, I just, I want to, I want to see what I can do with my body next year. I'm really, really inspired by my friend Wade at bio optimizers. Cause he's just like in his fifties and he's doing like, he's doing bodybuilding competitions and he's like, Molly, I'm literally out competing myself when I was 10 years ago. And I'm like, so inspired by Alan Aragon and his wife. Like Alan is just, Alan didn't start doing a lot of his own, like Alan got in like crazy shape later, later in life, really not rather than earlier in life. So I think a lot of, a lot of women and men out there in their forties, a lot of people like see themselves going downhill. And yet I have these people that I know and I'm like, wow, they are literally in the best shape of their lives and they're in their fifties. And I'm like, I want to be in the best shape of my life when I'm in my forties and fifties, you know, like how cool is that to think that you can get stronger over time and fitter over time and leaner over time. And that just because you hit midlife, just because you hit 40 doesn't mean that you're, it's all downhill from here. Like it can totally be uphill from here. Um, I don't know if you've seen train with Joan on, um, on oh my Instagram. gosh, I love her. Holy yes. crap. Is she impressive? Yeah. And she started late, like sixties or 70, 60 or 70 be. years old. Yeah. I mean, wow. Right. Like yeah. really, really cool woman. Like I showed her to my mom and my mom was a little bit annoyed with me because she was like, Molly. <laughs> and I was like, but seriously, mom, like, this is what I want my life to look like when I'm older. I want to be fucking Joan. I know, you know, I'm sorry to cuss, but I want to be in my seventies and be like, check out my muscle tone, you know? And the cool thing about women, which we don't talk enough about is like, as we get older, our metabolism actually shifts because our hormones change. And so when we hit perimenopause and menopause, we um we see some changes to our insulin sensitivity and um we do naturally 
need to be a little bit more careful with carbs as we get older because we're not going to be as insulin sensitive. Um, but I personally, I don't know about you, but I'm planning on going on hormones when I need to. Um, and I'm like totally going the Suzanne Summers route, like full on hormone replacement, MRI, like I'm going to do like regular exams and, and, um, and, you know, checking for breast cancer and whatnot. But like, I am so like interested in what I'm going to have to biohack in my, in my menstrual, in my um, menopause, menopausal years, like during perimenopause and menopause, like, and postmenopause, like you go through, you're like literally different women. So there's like a, like, so biohacking is this thing that's like, it's a lifelong pursuit, you know, like I haven't had kids yet, but if I do have children, um, that in itself, like fertility is a massive biohack. And I have a bit, I have a bunch of biohacking fertility tips in my book as well. That's definitely one of the things that I'm thinking about next is like freezing my eggs. I'm going to go to Mexico city and that's in itself a massive biohacking thing. So what do I need to do to get ready to freeze my eggs? Well, I want to up my DHEA. I want to increase my acai intake. I want to increase my vitamin D, make sure I have proper vitamin D levels, make sure I get enough selenium, make sure that I, um, have balanced hormones, my cortisol is balanced, like looking at all these different factors, you know, make sure I don't consume a lot of soy, soy, high amounts of soy can impair fertility. Um, and just like really do all the things that I recommend in my book, like maybe not do as much partying with my friends, you know, like maybe not, I mean, I don't I drink, but I definitely had some, uh, some alcohol on my vacation and I had like maybe, I don't know, four or five drinks, but like, if I'm going to try to get, you know, freeze my eggs, I'm not going to be drinking at all. Um, marijuana consumption, a lot of women don't know this is actually, um, not great for fertility. Um, so there's a bunch of things that you can do to optimize different, different, um, parts of your lifespan in this book specifically. Yeah. And I, uh, I share that, um, vision with you in terms of getting better. Um, as I age, I have that, um, it's a philosophy for my own personal growth, for my relationship as well. Like one of the things I think that we see tropes of is like, oh, you become roommates as you, you know, I mean, I'm, um, I'm engaged now. Uh, we'll be married later this year, but um, at the time of this recording and when this comes out, this is, you know, right now uh, we're engaged. And I. Yeah. I, yay. One, congrats. Thank you. Yeah. One, one of the things that often um, you hear is that, oh, you know, like the love sort of dies and it sort of dulls and you become roommates. And it's like, screw that guys. Like I want, oh, screw that. Yeah. I want screw my that. love to get better and more passionate. And that is, I want to be, that is to- absolutely not. Yeah. That, that this is, this is a thing that everyone says it has to be the, like the life we live, but you, you, you were intentional and your partner is extremely intentional and you guys are like very fit biohacking people. There, ne- the a big piece of this book, a big part of the frontier of my personal career, is since I feel like I've like kind of figured out the whole metabolic health piece, and I advise all these companies in metabolic health. It's like that's great. I'm interested in how do we optimize connection? How do we optimize love? How do we optimize social relationships? How do we optimize sexuality? And um, so I'm actually working on a uh, new sex therapy protocol, and it's it's um, it involves a fair amount of um, questions in the very beginning that you ask yourself to really identify like your um, attachment style, how you love um, your sexual proclivities, your sexual dysfunctions. And then we have a very interesting um, 
sex therapy that is actually very modern because almost all sex therapy is designed not just especially designed to fix fix dysfunction but we're designing this therapy not to not only fix dysfunction but to optimize sexual health and specifically we want to like most sex therapies that exist don't actually approach pleasure so they focus on everything that's dysfunctional about the sexual life but not about like how to improve pleasure so we're actually including right. practices um of how to enhance pleasure between partners, but also how to become more embodied sexually and how to take sexuality from just this friction-based in and out practice to a full body connection where your mind, your heart, and your, your genitals are connected to your partner. And so this connection is like fundamental to good sex, right? Polarity is really key to maintaining love long-term. One of the problems in long-term relationships is the mystery is gone. So the polarity drops. But I met these amazing two therapists in Austin um, who have this thing called sexy, secure attachment. And they're really teaching couples how to basically ensure that the polarity has not dropped. Because like we need polarity to create charge. So how do we do that, right? So I'm, I'm working with um, multiple teams of people who are experts in their own right to not only triangulate, like, where has a person got a problem? How do they optimize their sexual function? And then how do they look at the love that they have and create both healing, healing of attachment dysfunction if they have it or enhancing of secure attachment, which is something a lot of people don't realize is possible. And then how do you integrate your desire, your arousal, your, if you have sexual pain, if you have erectile dysfunction, if you have, um, you know, um, premature ejaculation, if you have disconnection with your communication with your partner, how do you integrate all of that and in practices on a daily basis that are that, that suit your needs as in your unique your unique areas of optimization? So I'm basically creating what I did for um, metabolic health in this book for human connection. And then beyond that, after we're done with this specific um, project and, it, and we've popularized it and we've built a platform around it, um, if we taped everything and we've, we're going to start running retreats in April, um, the next thing I want to build is software for um, basically examining how do you measure and amplify social connection. So that's its own like separate project that'll come later, but that's a very long-term vision of like where we can go because I really don't think enough people know how connected they are in the world. And then what does their connection look like compared to others? So um, just a little preview of what's to come, but Adamo Bioscience is this company I started last year and it's really dedicated to measuring and amplifying connection. And so we started with sexuality and love and attachment, but then we're moving on to things like um, social connection. And then like uh, there's, there's, there's certainly a lot more to be thinking about. Right. So it's, it's really exciting because it really is this like frontier of health that I think a lot of people are picking up on and there's certainly science to it. It just hasn't made it out into medicine yet. It's just not made it into the world because it's very new science. You know, it's yeah. like, this is, this is, this is like new stuff that it's not part of modern medicine, but, but it will be. Specifically also from a female centric point of view, because I think that for a long time, a lot of sexuality, even just the way things are depicted, it's like, you know, penetration is the only form of sex, let's say. And for a woman, or at least from the women that I've counseled, that I've spoken to, it can be hard to um, 
get into their bodies, right? Like we spend all this time cerebrally, you know, thinking about, um, you know, all the things that we need to do living yeah. in the men's world. And then we have to surrender in a, in another way in, a, in, you know, in another environment and literally let someone, someone else's body part enter mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. body. And it can mm-hmm. be very difficult mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. um, to surrender to that. And so I, my question, um, for you just around yeah. the sexual spark, which is a chapter uh, in the book as yeah. well, is for women and for a lot of women that I've spoken to, a big qualifier is safety. Like they want to feel yes. safe. They want to feel like they can just completely melt, right? Completely surrender, surrender and let go. Yeah. yeah. How do we how do we get close to that? How do we get better, let's say, at mm. surrendering? Okay, so it's funny because like when I was reading my book, um, there was like, I was getting to the, like the parts on trauma. And I remember like, I was like recording my audio book and I was just getting to the points parts on trauma. And I definitely started to like get a little teared up, teary eyed because I was like, God, I've come so far in my personal journey. And like part of the reason why I wrote this book was for other women like me who want hope that there's, it's possible that they can be embodied in their, in their sexuality because a lot of women have been traumatized. And, um, and it's like, we're only just now starting to really recognize how big of a problem this is. And a lot of men have too, by the way, like I have multiple clients in my practice who've discovered that they, or uncovered that they had sexual trauma as a child. And so it's not like it's just women, but it's definitely a problem in society. So one in four women are uh, abused as children. One in three are assaulted and one in five are raped. This is CDC data. And, um, and that means that about 60 to 80% of these women are going to have sexual dysfunction and they're going to find it pretty hard to actually fully let go with a partner because their nervous system has been wired to protect them by either freezing or by, um, tensing, getting so much tension in their genitals that they have pain. So sexual pain is a big issue or they won't get aroused because their body doesn't feel safe. And so if you have a history of sexual trauma, you should know that you're not broken. Like you don't need to be fixed. Like your body literally did this for you to, to, to save you and protect you. You just, there, there, it is a process of, of having to reformat these memories around sexuality from unsafe to safe. And in my personal journey, it was an accident that happened because I had would been with a partner and we um, had uh, experimented with MDMA and this was before I was a doctor, it was before I had a license. So I think I can speak to this. Um, I was in my late twenties and I went from having like, and, I, and by the way, I'm, I'm not saying that every woman out there who's trauma should take MDMA and have sex by any means. That's absolutely not what I'm, that's a 100% disclaimer, but I am saying that like I accidentally, healed trauma with a medicine that's being studied for PTSD um, specifically because it's been found to like actually cure PTSD in 67% of people who use it. Um, But what was interesting in my personal case was I didn't know I had PTSD because I didn't have the symptoms. And so I actually like looked at them up and I was like, wait, do I have PTSD or do I have do I just have trauma? Do I have medical student syndrome and, or do I have PTSD? That I mean, was, I certainly yeah. feel like I have PTSD from medical school, but yeah, funny yeah. thing is, is that I, 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 I found that my, my response to my sexual trauma in college was dissociation. 
So when I would have sex, I would dissociate. I would not really be in my body. I would be kind of like watching everything happen, but not really in it. So um, it definitely took me a first waking up and realization of, oh my God, I'm not like actually here with my partner at all. I'm like in a totally different world. And I think a lot of women, when they're having sex, they're going into their heads and they're going into their, and a lot of men too, by the way, will go into like, they'll go into another space. And really when you're having sex with yourself, with a partner, it's kind of like you're masturbating with them. Like you're not actually with them if you're just in your mind. So a big, big, big piece is you have to learn to create emotional safety before physical intimacy. And that means that like opening up about traumatic experiences you've had with a, with a trusted partner who you know and trust, um, not turning to alcohol as your path for intimacy because it will create the conditions for, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong with alcohol and, 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 and sex. It's, it's the most used aphrodisiac, but it certainly is a problem in a lot of cases. Um, but like really actually going and getting real help for, um, for, for trauma is something that a lot of women who with sexual trauma don't do. A lot of them have just never gotten therapy. They've never gone to EMDR. They've never tried somatic experience team. They've never done any of the basics. Or just like you, you didn't realize that you had. You didn't, I didn't you even realize. Yeah, you didn't recognize Yeah, it. I mean, yeah. the first step is like, do I have trauma? Do I have like a, do I have like a buried sexual trauma that's a, that's actually running malware in the background of my mind, right. keeping me from actually being in my body? And do I consider myself like fully, completely fixed and healed? No, I sometimes, when I'm under a lot of stress, Sometimes I'll sit there and I'll just like go into my own world and I'll just kind of like, I won't even hear people around me talking. I'll just be like in my own head, like having all sorts of like thoughts and conversations. And it's like, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a mild form of dissociation, but like it's a, it's a protective mechanism for um, how we deal with things that are challenging, right? Like our body wants us to freeze a little bit and pause and take a step outside of what's going on and be like, okay, what's, what am I doing here? Now, the key is, is like understanding the nervous system kind of behaves in two ways when it becomes dysregulated. So balanced nervous systems are going to not overreact and they're not going to freeze and dissociate. They're going to just respond coherently to problems. When you have a social injury, whether it's a major big T trauma or a little T trauma, what you will find is that Typically, people who get really stressed or people who have overreactions or people who have um, relationship problems and have a lot of conflict in their life, it's because they get triggered by things in their past that their nervous system is responding to as though it's still present. And that that memory has not been integrated from the past, to, from the present to the past, from the implicit memory to the explicit memory, from the present memory to the long-term memory. And so if you see somebody who's like triggered and overreactive, pretty good chance that they've got some unresolved stuff in their past that they need to address. And then also when there are people out there that like really freeze up, go inward, isolate themselves, become shut down, um, avoidant, that's also another form of the nervous system responding to um, painful experiences. And it's like, it's trying to protect itself. So it's either attack, which is like fight, right? Or it's freeze or it's, um, and sometimes it's tend to befriend, you know, like sometimes like, you know, there, there's the ventral vagal, which is like the the, the, the the way that we really want to be um, adapting is is like really turning towards people and saying, hey, I need some support. I need some connection. I need some help. And 
when you build a strong community of, of friends and family around you, when things hit, when shit hits the fan, you got people. Like one of my friends was suicidal earlier earlier this year, and I came over to her house and I was like, "Hey," she's like, "I, I I'm gonna go visit my parents." I'm like, "Hey, before you go, I want to see you. You know, I want to sit and talk to you. I want to go through this with you and talk through it." And um, you know, like I've I've had to pull a few suicidal people off of a off of a, a figurative ledge in this last year because the world has been really hard for a lot of people, um, and unfortunately, like. I don't think anything's going to get easier in the next year. So the most important thing you can do right now for regulating your, your nervous system um, is to A, get proper therapy, find a good therapist, B, surround yourself with people you love and trust, and C, really get in tune with your history. Like do a little life review. Um, I would recommend, astrologically speaking, to wait till like the mid to end of January to start doing resolutions. It's just not the time right now um, because- Believe it or not, there's like a bunch of there's a bunch of reasons, but I I'm planning on doing a bit of a life review. And like, if you haven't done a lot of personal development work, go to Hoffman. You know, like go go do a lot of these. Um, if you haven't really dealt with your like relationship with your parents, it's still probably affecting you in this in this life. So, um, doing a lot of the relational work and doing a lot of the trauma therapy. And really learning how to become in tune with your body is a process that happens over time. And it's not going to happen overnight. So um, the first thing you need to figure out is like, what do I have any dysfunction? You know, do I have pain during penetration? Do I have, do I get wet and aroused before I have sex? Do I have desire to have sex at all? Do I have um, hyperactive desire to have sex? Is it out of proportion of normal sex drive? Um, and and do I do I feel connected to my partner emotionally? And if not, then these are areas of opportunity for you to work on your health, work on your sexual health, work on your, um, and, and there, there are great experts out there that can help you, but ideally go find someone who um, you can get some re re referrals from, recommendations from. Um, if you are LGBT, make sure that the person that you go see is LGBT friendly um, and make sure that like, you know, like you look at this as an opportunity for growth and not as a, as like, I have a problem. I'm broken. Like one, 100% not going to help you. If you think that you, you are, you're not, you can't be fixed. Everybody can heal. I mean, it's totally possible, but you have to believe it's possible. And that's one of the biggest things I tell my clients is like, if you don't think you can get better, you're not going to get better. But if you think you can, then you will. Yeah. I, I, I do like that a lot because I think that what one of the, uh, potential downsides, let's say, of too much therapy is this adopt this you know uh, adoption of this victim mentality. Well, this happened to me. My father did this. My mother did this. My ancestral lineage. This is how it was for them. And yes, all of those we want to acknowledge those things and metabolize them in the best way that we can. Not necessarily with the view to get over it, right? Uh, you you mentioned, you know, sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you just kind of you catch yourself disassociating. It's actually just increasing or improving your own self-awareness and your own relationship with yourself. And again, coming back to that original definition of health, being able to appropriately respond. Right. So yeah. it's like maybe we don't get over the fact that we had a you know, mm -hmm. big T trauma, little T trauma, whatever trauma in our past, our parents were 
not the ideal, like I have children. I, my, my kids I'm sure are going to be talking about me in some therapist chair in 20 years, uh, from now in some way. And it's like your parents for better or worse, were just doing the best that they could with the tools that they, with the tools that they had. Like, you know, I've talked about my parents a little bit on the show and sort of their kind of like old school, we'll say old, like children should be seen and not heard kind of thing, which didn't bode well for a very chatty, no. <laughs> like a, you know, uh, you know, strong uh, willed child. So I think that there's a an acceptance and a forgiveness, maybe that, and it's and you know, which MDMA uh, has also afforded me, like this ability to not look at the world from like the first person singular, but like to look at everybody, kind of like, well, mom was doing this because she had this going on, and dad was doing this because he had that going on, and then there was Stephanie, like playing her little part. In, in reproducing and, and re-triggering their old traumas, right? So I think that um, having coming to a place of understanding um, yeah. and acceptance versus, and it's, it's, it's this like kind of toxic, well, you know, we've been talking a little bit about male and female uh, energy a little bit, this sort of almost toxic, like we have to get over it. We have to like slay it and kill it. It's like, well, maybe it's, it's just like, it's going to be with you and it's just going to have less of an edge over time. And you're going to be able to make peace with it. And you're going to be able to thank, you know, for all the good, for all the shit, pardon my French, you know, all the, all the stuff that, you know, it was, uh, in all the ways that it was, it harmed you. There were other things maybe on, you know, that, that it helped you, helped you become strong and independent and driven. And, you know, there are other, there are other offshoots, let's say that, um, that being exposed to an extreme stress sometimes, not always, but sometimes can have. Exactly. I mean, um, I do think that ideally we would like to live in a world where there isn't these like horrible traumatic experiences, but, more than ever, I've actually, um, just because I've seen, I've met so many young who have healed themselves from like eight adverse childhood experiences by the time they were 22. And I'm just like, wow, like there is so much more knowledge available to people today than ever before because of the internet. Like if we, if you, if you realize that like transformation is possible and anything, any, anything is possible with, 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 um, just commitment to like improvement, then anything can be biohacked, you know, your sex life, your love life, your parenting, your, um, your fitness, your, you know, your metabolism, the way you um, look. Yeah. The way you look. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast on beauty, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to actually love to like, I'd love to get your, your tips on how you stay so, so not youthful. <laughs> well, you know what, when you, um, next time you're in Toronto, which I think, yeah, uh, is going to happen at some point this year. Uh, yeah. We can maybe do an in-person podcast and we can talk about beauty. Ooh. I, I think that that would be a lot of fun. I think biohacking beauty would be a great topic to go on to next because there's so many, so many cool tools in the toolbox. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of transference of skills. So all the things that you talk about in spark factor with healing your metabolism and going to the gym and lifting weights. And for me, I would say that, um, I would say parenting and lifting weights have probably been the two biggest personal growth, uh, you know, experiments, let's say that I've ever engaged in, like, you know, raising children with 
I think you have a new appreciation for like human potential and forgiveness. Yeah. And every time yeah. you think you have it figured out, they're like, oh yeah, here's the mirror, honey. Like, you know, like you still yep. got some work to do, mom. So yep. I think that there's some beautiful personal development that comes from, from mothering and from raising children. And then the other yeah. thing is building a body, you know, like you got yes. you go to the gym when you don't feel like, you know, you, you, you've ridden the motivation wave. Motivation is long gone. And you're like, yep, I got legs on the schedule today. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm going to do mm-hmm. it anyway. I may mm-hmm. modify it because I haven't slept well, sure. or I'm stressed or whatever, but yeah. I'm still going to honor the appointment with myself because I'm worth it. And this is, you know, you were talking about, you know, the body, um, I really, I have come to view my body as a temple. Um, yes. However silly that sounds, but it's like, I, it I, really is. It, it's like, it's a place of reverence and a place of worship. You know, it's like, yes, we have homes and we have Airbnbs and places that we live, but this is the place that we live every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it is, it is something like, you know, I go to, you know, Stephanie church four times a week. <laughs> whether totally. or not I feel like it. So it, and totally. that, has, that has been like a very big, cause even when you don't, and it's like building a company, sometimes you don't want to show up to the meetings. Sometimes you have a difficult, you know, employee or whatever. And you have yeah. to learn how to conflict resolve. You have to learn how to keep, mm-hmm. like do what you said you were going to do and you have to follow yeah. through as an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, this very intimately. And I think, um, the same is true with like physique building or building, you know, hypertrophy of muscle, which is what, you know, you mentioned yeah. many women, most women should be focusing on particularly, you know, I'm, I'm 45 now. So like in my forties, yeah, just no way. 45. Yeah. 45. Holy crap. You are so inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought you were like my age or younger. I was like emotionally, I'm an eight year old, but like chronologically, yes, yeah, I'm. But well done, Stephanie. I mean, well done. I mean, holy crap! I had no idea. Like that's. I mean, this is the truth. Like I, I really do personally hate to say it out loud, but I really don't trust biohackers who don't look healthy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like if you don't look healthy, like now I'm not in like my best shape right now because of um frankly, just like, fuck, it was hard. This end of this last year was hard yeah, man. to do it all. And I, I did so many things this year. I mean, I really, I, I think I finally reached my, um, I think I, re- I reached like the limit of what I think I can do in one year. Like I actually was like, okay, I think this might be your limit for stress. Like I actually think that like, okay, I know, that, I know, limit, I know, yeah. I know yeah. what the like top of the, the, you know, sort of, uh, stress cup looks like and it didn't completely overflow thank god i didn't burn out but i definitely was like uh yeah uh this is not sustainable and you know the the beauty of um having all this data about my body in the last year was like i was like i'm so grateful that i spent all this um currency energy currency on uh all these accomplishments but i'm now like who cares? Like the world's crazy. Like, yeah, it's great that I wrote a book and it's great that I fundraised for a company and it's like cool and everything, but like, and I still care about every, all my projects, but I'm also like, I know for a fact that like fame and fortune is not going to bring me long-term health and happiness. It's actually just going to cause more stress and more problems. So I'm calling in like balance and harmony and connection. And like, that is like this year's theme is like, all about just balance, harmony and connection and joy. And like, um, and last year's theme was not that last year's theme for me was like hustle flow and go and don't stop and move and keep going. And it was like, and, and like, it was literally, I was like, what does the, what does like, 
what does the top of this mountain look like? You know? And I got to this top of this mountain and I was like, whoa, that is really cool. I was literally in Antarctica. I was like, this is amazing. But I'm like, eh, it's a little stressful. I don't know if I want to be this stressed out forever or <laughs> like, you know? Um, so, I mean, we're heading into a recession. It's going to cause stress for the world, but I do think that, um, you know, I, I, I actually think that I will probably be more successful by like cutting back on the things that I do, like across the board, like, you know, when you, when you, when you push yourself to this limit for so many months in a row, it's like, there's just not a lot of room for, um, other things aside from work. And like, you know, looking at you and looking at like women that I admire who have families, like you got to create space for that if you want that to enter your life, you know, and this last year, there just wasn't space for that. So I'm certainly thinking about how, how do I create more, more, um, more room for more to emerge? So, yeah. Well, it's beautifully, like, you know, cyclically, it is very yeah. uh, normal to be pushing sort of more masculine and then, you yeah. know, and then more feminine. Like, it sounds like yeah. this is a time for you to kind of lean into that sort of receive. I mean, you even use the yeah. word like, I'm calling it in, right? I'm going to call uh-huh. in uh, the joy and I'm calling that in. That's what we yeah. do. I mean, just think about our, you know, I often talk about this with my some of my healthcare uh, practitioners where it's like, you know, when a, when a woman ovulates and she releases an egg, like the egg doesn't like run around and like, is the sperm here yet? Like, is it like up and down yep. the fallopian tube? Like she just sits there like the queen and is like, I'm ready. Right. You can come now. And then the sperm, you know, they like do their little thing they go up and then they find, you know, and they, they jockey to, uh, to be able to penetrate the egg. And that's like feminine energy. It's like, I'm here, I'm ready for you now. Right. Like that's what yeah. you're talking about. It's like that, I think Christine, uh, Christiane, pardon me, uh, Northrop talk, like talks about this, like, egg she's wisdom, awesome. Right. This like, she's egg awesome. wisdom I love her book. Like, I'm going to call. Well, I remember reading that like 20 years ago and I was like, damn, this is, this is different. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So well, this has been yeah. just such a joy to be on, by the way. Well, this podcast. Same. I love connecting with you and I'm um, looking forward to spend, you know, if you are, if you're coming into Toronto, we'll do our first in-person podcast on the show. So we'll like, we'll like fingers crossed. We'll try to make that happen. Super excited. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. on your book. Just tell people where they can find it. Um, and anywhere sure. else that, that you would like them to interact with you. Um, definitely go to my website, www.drmolly.co, drmolly.co. Um, and there's actually a bunch of, uh, I think this is getting released before the book gets released. So it's uh, we've got a pre-order campaign going on where you can get discounts on Level, CGM, on um, Hanu Health, HRV monitoring, on the Lumen uh, Metaflow device. My course is on massive sales, my Stanford course that I taught. It's even more thorough than my book. Um and so like you can get all of those benefits as well as like my HPA access dysfunction protocol, you know, stress warning signals, st- like stress questionnaires. So you can evaluate your stress level at the beginning of this year. Um, and then like my top labs and my top supplements and technology. So if you want all those cool add-ons, I would highly recommend pre-ordering the book on um, through through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, order a few for your family or friends. It's a great gift to give. And you know, it's it's definitely a biohacking Bible so for women. And uh, I think men should read it too, personally, because frankly, a lot of men don't understand their women. And so if you understood your lady better, you'd actually be able to predict a lot of her behavior and avoid a lot of conflicts. So I'm a huge, huge fan of men um, tracking their partners' menstrual cycles. So uh, this book is really a guidebook for, for optimizing health. And I just want to thank you, Stephanie, for letting me promote it on your podcast. 
Awesome. Well, we will make sure that all those links, all the clickable links are there in the show notes. Molly, it's been a joy. Thank you so much. And congratulations again. Thank you, Stephanie. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 